wonder what is the best way to think about some of the emotions that we feel during the Christmas season. You know, we have a lot of certainly joy, but even during our prayer time, we were alluding to this, there can be a lot of complicated mixed emotions during Christmas. Can you agree? Now, I like to think about, you know that guy who one Christmas, he just got buried. He got buried with all the things going on. He got buried with the gifts and the expectations. And, and you know what he was doing? He was walking along, and he said, Christmas would really make sense if I did one more thing. So he went out, and he bought one more gift. And then he said, you know, if only I had the one more activity. So he added the activity to his very full schedule. And very quickly, he felt like this, buried and not knowing what to do. At times in the holidays, we can be in a place where we just feel buried. Would you agree? Now, the good news is I was thinking about what word. Should we call it buried or crushed? The good news of buried, and you can say, who wants to get buried? There's no good news of being buried. Let me tell you the good news. If you bury me in sand in the summer, anybody ever do that? You ever be buried? In th- My kids love this. They're four and two. They love this, okay? You bury someone in sand. What's the good news? Do you stay like that? Is anybody covered in sand today? No, you get unburied, right? We hope. If you get crushed by stuff, you're just crushed and you're dead and it's, it's not helpful. So what I would like us to say is, hey, at Christmas time, the most difficult things can bury us, but we're not going to let them crush us. We're not going to let them defeat us. Instead, let's say I've got a full schedule, a full set of resentments, right? Because we carry our resentments into Christmas, a full set of a gift list that maybe I can afford, maybe not. And here's what I want to do. I want to say what good news does the gospel, because the gospel is good news, what good news does the gospel have for my feeling buried at Christmas? Is that fair? This is a good question to ask. Now, the challenge is, is we think this is just a Christmas thing. One of the issues is when we have too many things going on, we overextend ourselves in all these places, we can say, well, January is coming, and life's going to be better in January, Right? But the problem is, is that this isn't just a Christmas thing. We're aware of it at Christmas. But in January, we're just as buried. In February, we got all the Valentine's Day expectations, and, and you keep going through the year, and we're just buried in general. So what I want to ask is, what is the real problem? And let's name it. When we feel buried, it's because we have unrealistic expectations. Two kinds of things. Number one, we think that we can do more than we can. Do you ever have this? You think I can just do one more thing. I can just pencil it in and it's not going to be too much. I can handle it. Or, and that's one of our big challenges. The other one is we think we must do what we see others do. Even though we're no longer in elementary school and we no longer are just noticing everybody else. Remember being in kindergarten and you're at a birthday party and you get a piece of cake? You with me? And what do you notice? My friend's cake is bigger than mine, right? So I need that one. And then I see everybody else climbing up the slide. So what do I need to do? Well, even though mom and dad told me I only use the ladder, I got to climb up the slide too. We take that mentality and with our unrealistic expectations, we think we must do what others what we see others do, and it crushes us. Well, I'd like to say it buries us, not crushes us, at the Christmas season. Now, what does this look like? There's a high cost. Let's talk about the high cost. 
When was the last time you went and tried to get a bag of chips from the grocery store? Anybody do it this week? $5.99 for a bag of Lay's. We're trying to do it for lunch. Okay. So we're like, all right, well, maybe I'll get the Market Basket brand of chips. That's the solution, right? But then what is there every time you swipe the credit card? What is there every time you get pizza, you get takeout food, or even buy a pair of shoes? There's the tip line. You with me? Everybody, there's been New York Times articles written about this. There's a tip line for everything. Literally, I heard a story of someone at the shoe store, and literally the tip line appeared. Right? And notice no one's laughing because you're like, you're right, David. This isn't funny. This is a reality, and it's obnoxious. Okay. Well, so there's a high cost of everywhere. Um, I will tell you, there's also mandatory experiences. So there's all these things we get pulled into. Maybe it's the work Christmas party. Who's already had the work Christmas party this year? Did anybody get Swallow the Frog early? No, see, it's coming. The work Christmas party is coming. It hasn't happened yet. Now, maybe you're in the 2% that enjoy it, but for the rest of us, we dread it or we quit the job that doesn't, and so we no longer are required to have a work Christmas party. Do you know we don't have at Faith Community Church? a work Christmas party. Okay. Again, no laughter because you're like, David, this is hitting too home. Okay. But let's talk about this. So the problem is if we have all these issues at Christmas where we've got the high cost, the mandatory activities and expectations, and then unexpected things happen, then in our family, there's something that really goes wrong. We get a family cancer diagnosis or we get a car accident. And then what happens? We already were overextended. We already were feeling like this was difficult, and now we don't know what to do. And now we say, I'm not sure how I got here, but I don't want any more of it. In fact, I'll even give you one more that was brought to my attention yesterday. Does anyone have an advent calendar at your house? Advent calendars? Okay. So this is apparently the new trend. So watch for this in the next five years because Wirecutter on the New York Times says this is the big new expectation of Christmas. There's advent calendars that are not reusable but one time and they cost on average about $120 to $190. And people get multiple of them and they collect them. And the problem is, is we take things at Christmas that are nice ideas, right? Advent calendar is wonderful. Advent is the coming of Jesus. How amazing is that? But then we take it and, and it, we just make it something it's not supposed to be because of our unrealistic expectations because we think we can do more than we can do and we think we must do what everyone else does and it leaves us feeling exhausted. Now, here's the point. Feeling buried is not only a Christmas thing. It's not. Life can bury us. The good news of Jesus needs to be able to be applied to my busyness at the holiday season or it's not really good news. Is that fair? If I just have this academic idea of faith and then I'm just totally miserable everywhere else, is my faith doing me any good? Have you ever been that way? That's called religion. That's when I have these ideas about Jesus and God and mangers and wise men and koreshes and whatever, and they happen, and I just feel terrible. And I'm like, I don't know why I feel awful, but I would like to have some measure of peace, but nothing's doing it. My friends, what we're hoping to do at the Christmas season is to not feel buried, to move beyond our unrealistic expectations, to see that the gospel is literally the 
good news of Jesus for all the world, it means I don't have to be miserable and to be buried, and I don't have to feel like I just want the Christmas season to end. Now, let me show you what this has to do with the Christmas text. I want you to meet a guy named Joseph. When you think of the heroes of the Bible, we usually think of people like who? Like King David, right? King David the shepherd boy. We think of Daniel. Daniel and the lion's den. Good job. You're awake. Okay. Um, once a year, we talk about this guy, Joseph. You know, I was trying to think, is this, does this mean we really emphasize him because we give him one shot a year or we forget about him until Christmas? Then we talk about Joseph the carpenter a little bit. And then we forget about him again. Now, I want to show you that if you're ever feeling buried, in fact, show of hands, if you feel even slightly buried already, it's December like 3rd. Anybody feel buried at Christmas a little? Okay, I really do too. So, I want to show you how Joseph, at the very beginning of Matthew's gospel, he's the protagonist. He's the main character for two chapters, then he goes by. Then he disappears. And in these two chapters, he shows us how to not be buried because life should have buried him. What happens right away? God confuses our friend Joseph in chapter one. What does God do? So Joseph, he's a first century guy. He's pious. He, he just wants to live a good life. Anybody like this, you just want to live a quiet, moral life, work hard, do the right thing, be a dad, be a mom, be a community member. Just be, be someone people can rely on. And what happens? His girlfriend says, hi, I'm pregnant, and it was the Holy Spirit. Okay? And we'll talk about that a bit more. And he deals with that. He's, instead of that burying him, he's like, he works through it. We'll show you how he works through it. But then life keeps going. We're going to show just the first story, but I want to be clear that Joseph has a million opportunities to be buried, and instead he continually says, I don't have to be buried. He just simply says that. Now, what happens later? You know that story with the Magi, the three wise men? These three random dudes show up out of nowhere, shine a spotlight on Joseph's baby, so that they tick off this angry king, and now this angry king wants to kill the family. So there's these random people that have nothing to do with Joseph's life, and they stumble into his life, and it makes his life more difficult, and once again, he deals. Where, what does he do? He takes his family to Egypt. He just says, we're going to evacuate. We're going to get out of here. And he has all these different things in his life, and he continues to not be buried. Now, you can say, okay, that's a nice idea, but why didn't life bury him? Because Joseph had this simple idea that because of his faith, because of his trust in God, and this is our big idea for the day, I don't need to be buried. Let's say this together. I don't have to be buried. We didn't say it together. Let's say it together. Ready? I don't have to be buried. Okay. Now, so I want to show you with Joseph's story. We're going to really quickly read it. Turn in Matthew's gospel. It's very, very brief. Sometimes we like to do what's called a holistic reading where we just read through the text briefly. This is going to be in verse 18 to the end. Just listen to how the guy doesn't get buried, okay? Just listen for a moment. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, he's our hero, 
was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, because he decided he didn't have to be buried, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. So, I don't have to be buried. You don't have to be buried. Joseph could have been buried. He wasn't. Where does it start? It starts with this first idea, living righteously. How often do we feel buried in our lives because we start out in the wrong, not righteous place? We make some sort of lapse in judgment, some sort of moral blunder, some sort of compromise, and then we're shocked when that becomes a new foundation for our life and people judge us on this or we judge ourselves over this. And then we're like, how did this happen? I feel totally buried. One of the first things Joseph shows us is he simply lived righteously. Here's what it says. He was a righteous man. He didn't want to disgrace her publicly. So what happens? Joseph finds out that his fiance in the first century is pregnant, not by him. Now, he's got a couple options. What are his options, you ask? First option, and these are all allowable in his culture. I'm not endorsing them. I'm telling you what was allowed. Is that fair? So before you're like, my pastor is endorsing something ridiculous. I'm not. I'm just telling you about the culture. We agreed? Forgive me in advance. So his first option was to publicly stone her, okay? That was the first option. Now, what does that mean? That means he could be as vindictive as possible. Have you ever been wronged and you just wanted to get even? And you wanted to make the person pay? Now, if we're living righteously, we're not defaulting to this. But in what's called our shadow self, if we're in a negative space, we can really want to publicly stone someone, live vindictively. So that was his first option. He says, nope, not going to do that. His second option was something called a public divorce. This is embarrassing her, okay? This means you gather her in front of the town, the elders, the congregation, the synagogue, and you say, she has a baby, not from me. I'm going to publicly shame her and divorce her, okay? Now, because he lived righteously, he said, yeah, I'm not going to be vindictive. I'm not going to embarrass her. Instead, what he said is, I'm going to dismiss her quietly. This was the third option, and it was allowed. So what this means is he'd grab two quiet people who were well-status people in their society, and they'd quietly get together, and they would say, hey, this didn't work out. We're just going to make this problem become a separation. So think of it in our church. It'd be like grabbing Genefson and be like grabbing Tom and be saying, hey, we're just going to come together, and we're going to really quietly, we're going to say that this wasn't okay, and we're going to say that we're separate. So he believes his best option is to not stone her, not publicly divorce her, but dismiss her quietly. Are you with me? So here's why this is important. 
because we come to times in our lives where we need to look at our best available options. And when we're living righteously, upright before God, we want to start with our morals. It doesn't mean that we believe in something called moralism, which is simply, I do the right thing and that's okay. Be kind for the sake of kind. Be good for the sake of good. But when we start understanding that I'm here to serve God, God has given me a basic set of morals. And I want to start by making my choices from my basic set of morals. Let me tell you an example when this happened in my life. When I was in high school, I went to a Christian school. And I really got along well with the principal. His name was Chris Vanderbond. Chris Vanderbond had become a dear kind of person in my life. He'd really gotten to know me. I had some ups and downs. As a freshman, I got into a fight. He says that it was the, the first fist fight in the school's history. Was it really? I'm not sure, but he claimed it was. But through that experience, he actually kind of took me under his wing and got to know me. I was an up-and-down kid like any teenager. If you have a teenager in your home who's kind of struggling, just remember your pastor at one point was a struggling teenager too. Guys in the room, were the teenage years hard? They were hard, right? Okay. But here's the deal. So we found out we were moving. My dad got appointed to this church. And I was going from 10th grade to 11th grade. And I decided, and my family decided, that I was not going to go to public school in this town, but I was going to be driving back and forth to Whitensville, Massachusetts. Now, anybody know the roads? That's a, that's a hike, right? So this sweet guy looked at the options, and he said, Hey, Cushing family, I'd like to offer my wife and I, our kids, we'd like to offer having David stay in our home two to three nights a week to make it easier for you. He just gave a nice, righteous option. Now, I didn't end up taking it. Eventually, I looked in the early days of Google Maps, and I realized that this would be insanity to try to do 80-minute commute each way. And we realized it wasn't the right approach. But I will always remember that a sweet Christian principal named Chris Vanderbon lived righteously and offered me a good option. You probably have times in your life where you've come to difficult moments and either you have lived righteously or someone else has and it's made a difference. Can you agree? But here's my question. Because at the times we're buried, we got to deal with these couple questions. First of all, do you default to being vindictive, to trying to embarrass someone, or to try to dignify people? Do you default when someone wrongs you, when you feel buried, when your boss has buried you with all the expectations, do you default to now wanting a stoning, being vindictive? Do you default to wanting a public divorce, embarrassing the person? Or do you default to say, hey, it's not about me. I have an opportunity to start from a place of my values and I can be as dignifying as possible. Because sometimes this is the reason why we're buried, my friends. One of the reasons we start buried is simply because we've been going for the public stoning. Amen? Sometimes we forget that God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and we go for option A or B, and then we're surprised when we're buried. But it doesn't end there for Joseph, because Joseph's story isn't a story of moralism. He does something else. He listens to God attentively. At the times where we feel buried, who do we listen to? Do we listen to everything? Because look around in society. Pull out your phone. Go in the public square. Every single person wants to be your guru. Have you noticed this? Anybody who you'll listen to wants you to listen to them. 
we got to be careful of that. When people just simply are trying to hook us and trying to get us to listen to them, it can take us in all sorts of directions. Joseph listens to God attentively, and so that means for him, he waits for a dream, an angel appears to him in a dream, and now he has clarity. I wonder, who would really like to have this sort of clarity in your life the next time you're feeling buried? I saw a lot of hands when it went up. Wouldn't it be nice to have, to have an angel of the Lord appear in your dream? Except, I'm going to be honest, most of you would probably just write it off, right? Oh, that was the lasagna I had. It probably the meat wasn't cooked as well as it should have been. I'm going to be honest, right? Now, this isn't a church where we primarily say, I want you to wait until you have a dream and then make a decision. No, so for listening attentively to us, Notice what it says here. It says, as Joseph considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And then it tells him what to do. And we read it before. For us, the primary way that we listen to God attentively is the Bible, through Scripture. We believe that the Scripture is the primary way that God is going to tell us what's going on in our lives. I want to show you something. It's called God-given revelation. It's an idea that comes from our new denomination, and it's really helpful. When we look at the Scripture, we believe that the Bible is eternal. What does that mean? And we're going to show you a graphic with all these on here. So the Bible is eternal. That means that this that I'm holding here is not some temporary human document, but it literally, the Bible says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will remain. So when we have the opportunity, let's say you're going through a season where things are buried. And so you say, wow, I'm not really sure what to do. I'm really having a hard time. We understand that Scripture is one of the only places, in fact, it's the only place where the Holy Spirit will meet with you every time you read it, and you will get a fresh word from God simply by reading it because it's an eternal document, it's sustaining, it has authority, it speaks to our heart, and it's prophetic. And so then you can say, okay, so then what do I do at the times when I feel buried? Well, what we want to realize is that God is going to primarily speak to us not through dreams, but through Scripture. And then we have to be discerning and patient, and we have to say, wow, I want an answer right now. Anybody ever feel like that, like you want an answer right now? I see at least one hand. If we're honest, most of us, probably over half, would say, hey, we tend to want answers right now. When we have the opportunity to prayerfully consider Scripture, it allows us to also slow down. Sometimes the reasons we're buried, I showed you that it's sometimes simply because we've been wanting that public stoning, being vindictive. There are situations in our lives where simply not being vindictive is the right way. And you know what's going to tell us that? Scripture. Again, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. If you feel as a Christian like you need to be getting revenge on someone, you don't, okay? If you feel like you need to make them pay, you don't, okay? It's not biblical. What is biblical is slowing down, pausing, praying, and realizing, look around for a second. Everybody see where you are? You've got Christians in your life. You don't need to solve everything, and you don't need to be the great I am, the boss, Instead, what we have the opportunity is to slow down and realize what scroll scripture, what role scripture has in our life. Now, I want to give you an example. When I was growing up, we were in the middle of something called the worship wars. 
Have you ever heard of the worship wars? It wasn't the Cold War. What's the Cold War? U.S. versus Soviet Union. The worship wars were maybe even more tense than that. In churches, they were fought against traditional music and contemporary music. They were fought against organ versus band. You with me so far? Now, if you know anything about David, what instrument do I play? I play the piano and the organ, okay? So I was an organist, and I was a worship band leader. So I was like in the middle of ground zero of the worship wars. You with me? And what I started realizing, and what I've realized over the years, is that there are going to be times where there's change needed, and there's going to be times where there's going to be difficult moments and discussions we have to have. But when we look at Scripture, we see that the things that happened then happen again now, the first worship wars were not in the 1960s or 70s or 80s or 90s or even now. The first worship wars were thousands of years ago, documented in the book of 1 Corinthians. So what I've learned to do is when I have experiences that are confusing and I feel buried, maybe I feel buried because I look at things and say, wow, I just wish that there was more clarity around an issue. When we look at Scripture, it's going to reveal a light and it's going to say, wow, what you're dealing with isn't actually new, it isn't actually unique, and there is hope. So here's my questions for you. And I think this is a fair one. After you've made a decision, during the decision, whenever it is, are you open to letting God have the final say? And are you listening to God through Scripture, or are you prioritizing everything else? Joseph does well and isn't buried because he's listening to God attentively, and then he follows through. And this is what I really want to focus on today, is this idea of how he gets there. He embraces what I call the fourth option, the fourth choice. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Now, I want to refresh. How many options did Joseph think he had? Okay, number one was public stoning, being vindictive. He thought that was a choice. He decided not to do it. Number two was public divorce, embarrassing her. Decided not to do it. Number three was private dismissal, dignifying. But the whole time, God had a fourth option for him. I want to tell you boldly, if you see three options, there's always a fourth. If you have a limited view, because we all have a limited view, and you simply think I'm going to make my best, worst option, we got to slow down, we got to stop, we got to talk to Christians, we got to read the Bible, we got to give it time, because God always provides a fourth choice. There is always an option in every single situation that is going to be not vindictive, not embarrassing, not simply dignifying, but there's going to be God's option present and available. Let me give you an example. Where are we sitting? We are sitting in what town? Plymouth. How did the Plymouth get developed? You had a group of people called the Pilgrims. They believed they had three options. So hundreds of years ago, this is not a contemporary example, this is a how we got here example. The Pilgrims believed that option number one was to assimilate to culture. They could either assimilate in England or wherever they were. They could just say, you know what? We have concerns about our society. We're worried about, remember this 400 years ago, I'm not talking about now. We're concerned about all the influences on our children. We're concerned about all the political forces and all the various things. 
But you know, we can go ahead and just assimilate to culture and go for it. They decided not to do that. Then they had another choice. Well, we could be separatists in England. We could separate from society, and we could say, you know what? We're going to live here, but we're going to be separate. We're going to do our thing, and we're going to accept the consequences of it. They decided not to do that. Then they moved to a place called Leiden in Holland, and they had an opportunity. They could once again be separatists in Leiden. But what did they decide to do? They took a fourth option. They got in a boat with not a bunch of really deeply religious people, but with merchants and various business people. And they got in the boat and they said, God is calling us to do something new like Abraham before us, Abraham in the Bible. Noticing that, they listened to God attentively. They looked back at the Scripture and they realized that God had called this guy Abraham to go from where he was and take a long, slow walk of faith all the way from one end of the known world to the other. They mimicked that were influenced by it, and they got in a boat without the internet, without the transatlantic cable, without all the luxuries that even a couple hundred years ago have, and they got on there, and they made a bold step, and they came here. And when we think of embracing a fourth choice, I want you to think of the pilgrims. I want you to think there's some times where God is going to ask you to get on a Mayflower in your life. There are going to be places. It's not being vindictive. It's not embarrassing someone. It's not even simply making the best of a bad situation. It's doing the step of faith that God asks. Now, maybe it's something big, and maybe it's something small. Joseph isn't buried because he's willing to start with his sense of living righteously. He's willing to listen to God, and he's also willing to, when God says, hey, your fourth option is to simply, the whole time, you didn't realize this, but you could simply accept her as your wife and stand publicly, even though no one will ever understand your marriage. So if you're Joseph in the first century, he believes in the virgin birth. We believe in the virgin birth, but no one else would have. Everyone else would have looked at that situation and been like, that's pretty weird, Joseph. I don't know why you're going with this. Or Joseph, yeah, you're accepting this because you did something wrong here. Joseph stepped out in faith and said, hey, I'm going to acknowledge that God has a better way for my life than all of the limited options that I see. So my friends, I have questions for you. And when God provides a fourth option, are you willing to step out in faith? There's some of us in this room who are really struggling. And there's some of us in this room who are feeling really great. And that most of us are somewhere in the middle, and I call it buried, okay? Our big idea, and then I want to talk about it for a minute, is simply what? Do I have to be buried? don't have to be buried. I don't have to be buried. How do we get there? Let's talk about this and we'll conclude. So let's say you're feeling really buried this Christmas season. Let's say you're just at the point where maybe it's because of some moral compromise that you've come into. Maybe it's simply because God has confused you like Joseph, but you're here buried. What good news does the gospel have for me today? Well, a couple things. Number one, Jesus said, and I often say this, maybe I'm really busy. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Maybe I need to make some structural changes in my life, and I need to say, you know what? I am maxed out like a bad credit card, and I need to simply make some changes in my calendar. Maybe there are some things that I need to confess to someone 
in order to have peace. Not because that's going to like now get me to heaven because it's not that we believe in the needs for atonement through confession that that gets you saved. No, maybe there's a measure of peace because I'm holding something in my life and it's just crushing me and I'm buried by it and I don't need to be. And I can be like Joseph and say, you know what? It doesn't matter if yesterday I wasn't righteous. Today God is calling me to be righteous. Maybe it's simply doing what a friend of mine calls winning the week. How many days a week are there? Seven days a week. A friend of mine says, if you read the Bible, he's a pastor, four days a week, you've now read the Bible over half the week. That's called winning the week. Maybe some of us simply need to get into God's Word a little bit more and say, you know what? I'm listening to everything else, but I'm not giving God a shot. I'm not willing to let my faith be part of my life. I simply need to be reading. We've got devotionals out there. We have a devotional we send out. We're finishing up a Through the Bible plan. If you're feeling like, I just need to read the Bible more, do it and we'll support you. Send us an email, office at faithcommunityma.com. And maybe it's simply that God is calling you to do something in faith and you've been saying, I'm not willing to do it. Maybe God has been saying to Joseph, hey, just accept her as your wife. I'm with you. You might have something like that in your life. And you may be waiting for a sign for God to say, hey, do it. Maybe you'll get that sign, maybe you won't. What I will tell you is Scripture tells us there are times when we want to embrace God's fourth option for us. If you're feeling miserable, let's not keep feeling miserable. Let's take a step of faith. So we have a tradition at our church. And sometimes we make it really specific. If you are needing prayer for anything, we're going to sing a song. It's a wonderful song. And we're going to have a time where you can come down for prayer. I'm not going to tell you what to pray for. You don't have to be buried. You don't have to be buried. If you're feeling buried, come down and pray. If you want to pray for someone with a health diagnosis, come pray for that too. We have a tradition in our church. It's a good tradition. I'll invite our elders forward. We can have a measure of peace starting today. And when we feel buried by life, we don't have to. The gospel says we don't have to. God gives you permission. Let's sing together.